welcome, welcome. This is the Matter Podcast, where we do not hold any punches. The Matter Podcast spotlights certain sports figures and sports moments and discuss their importance, both historically and how they relate back to us on our current social space. My name is Peter, and I'm your host. Now, I hope you guys really enjoyed the last four weeks of featuring different African-American um, athletes and moments that kind of reflect back to Black History Month. Today, we're going to be discussing the 2004 um, brawl between the Pistons and the Pacers. And so I hope you guys are excited. As mentioned, this event occurred between the Pacers and the Pistons in 2004. So here's 30 seconds of history from 2004. On February 3rd, the CIA admits that there was no imminent threat from the weapon of mass destruction before the 2003 invasion of Iraq. February 12th, city and county of San Francisco begin issuing marriage license to same-sex couples as an act of civil disobedience. Um, June 5th, Ronald Reagan is found dead in his home in Bel Air. And later that year, George Bush gets re-elected for his second term as President of the United States, beating out John Kerry. And on that very same day, 11 American states banned gay marriage. And that was your 30 seconds of history. So some of the things you just heard from there was obviously the sounds from the Malice in the Palace. And for the, those of you guys that don't really know what the Malice of the Palace was, here's a quick history of what the whole event was. So the Pistons and the Pacers are obviously Eastern Conference basketball team. And in the years past, um, the Pistons and the Pacers played in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Pistons had won um, the previous series and went on to win the NBA championship. And so coming into the season, the Pistons were coming up as the defending champs, and the Pacers were coming back as a team that thought that they should have won the year before, and they were also coming in as the best team in the league at that point or at least they felt like they were the best team. And so coming up against this Pistons team, there were, there was really some bad blood with the rivalry going on between the two teams. And so throughout the season, the Pacers had already shown that they were the better team. They had the best record. They had outplayed the, Pace, the Pistons already at that point. Like they had shown that they've proven everything they needed to prove. And so leading by 14, 15 points, like no one expected anything to happen, you know, within the game. And then Ron Artest decides to reignite some of the passion from the previous year competition 
and decides to foul Ben Wallace, like, unnecessarily and really rough, right? He just grabs him from the back and just knocks him down. And so Ben Wallace reacted in ways that anyone else would, which is that he went up and at him and shove and try to, you know, start a fight. And, you know, there's a scuffle be- between both players, just pushing back and forth or whatever, and whatnot. And, I mean, it's just like a regular NBA fight. And so then that dies down. And you see Ron Ortez kind of laying there on the announcer's table, just kind of being calmed down. So, and it wasn't until like a fan throws a bottle of beer with beer in it at Ron Ortez that things really escalates and really goes from the point of no return, right? And rightfully so, because I don't know how many of you guys out here would be in a place in which someone is throwing something at you and specifically a beer with beer in it, like, and it hits you in the face that you're able to just kind of retreat and come back. And so this is what happens. And this is what really starts the malice in the palace. In my view, they throw this in his face and run our test acts. And what happens after that changed the whole course of the NBA history. The immediate aftermath of the the brawl was just staggering, and for most people, it was just kind of an awe moment, right? Like, no one really knew what to do, especially even as it was happening. Um, but immediately after that, um, you have nine different NBA players suspended. Um, Ron Artez, obviously, he, he ended up getting suspended for a whole season. And all in all, there was about $11 million dollars that was lost between the suspensions between all the players. And um, ultimately, there were also more rules that were made that was supposed to be protecting the fans and then protecting the players. Um, security was supposed to be tighter. And, and, the, and essentially, the owners and everyone else around the sport didn't, wanted to make sure that the message was sent across the league from players to fans that this is not something that would be tolerated and that going forth, like, they will continue to change rules to make sure that the NBA will not ever look like that again. And so when they're trying to sell their sports to the average consumer, it's making sure that they know that this was just a blimp on, on the map and it was just not something that's going to happen ever, ever again. And that message was made very, very clear. So as we reflect back on just what happened and how the fight ultimately went down, like I want us to really break this thing down into like certain ways, I guess, and um, certain categories. And one is which is just to literally look at the fight on itself, which was that it started between players in a heated moment, and it kind of ended pretty much within like a, I want to say like a 30-second time frame, which is very normal. Like, these folks are playing, and adrenaline is going, and like, it's, it's a heated moment, and so it happens. And 
as in all other sports and in all other times in sports, the fight started and ended real quickly and it was handled. And so it wasn't until that bottle was thrown at this dude who sort of was in the midst of a fight. Um, and then you throw a bottle of beer in his face. Like, what the hell did you expect to happen? Right. And so that's when everything kind of turned upside down to say the bottle hits him and he goes off as he should have. Right. And I just I think it's weird that when we look at that, that any blame even goes on the players that is because like. Ask yourself if you were just sitting there, whatever sports or whatever job you're doing, you're sitting at your office and Jim throws something at you. You throw a bottle of beer at you. What are you going to do? Like, you're going to react in the exact same way. And so things go out of control, mostly because the fan got involved in a thing in which he really should not have and in a way that he really should not have. And then everything else that kind of went after that. But ultimately, it all comes right back to that bottle with beer in it being thrown at this guy. And so there's that. So the other part that I wanted us to talk about is like talking about the state of the NBA at that point. So, <clears throat> so leading up even before this fight, the NBA was kind of in this phase in their sport in which they were really trying to, for lack of a better term, they were trying to unblackify the NBA. And what I mean by that is like they were literally just kind of they saw the stage of the NBA in which. You know, you had like folks like Alan Averson, who was being unapologetically himself, being unapologetically just a young black youth, right? And so, like, is the things with the do rags and the and the pants, are just you know, being just showing up at the arenas as they were. And the NBA didn't really think this was going to be able to sell to its average consumer, and so they started coming up with rules of saying like folks need to wear a suit when they roll up to the arena. And they need to do this and that and that and be more professional, right? So, like, dress business professional or business casual at the very least when you show up to the arena. Which is weird for a sport in which folks are about to come out and play in shorts and get sweaty. But nevertheless. So that's where they were going at already. So then when this fight happened, like, the NBA all of a sudden is just dug in really deep into making sure that that image wasn't wasn't going to be associated with their sports anymore. Because one thing that many people don't talk about was that after that fight, the Pacers fans, remember, Ron Artest was the one that got attacked, and they had to defend themselves in Detroit. They come home, and their own fans were calling them thugs and whatnot. And if you know me, I only have one way to, I guess, translate what what white people say when they say someone is a thug. Like, they, no one ever call a white person a thug, right? And if if, if someone has and you have some, some kind of history of that, let me know because I've never really seen um, any white person call another white person a thug. And so ultimately, they weren't talking to the entire team. They were talking to the team's black players, calling them thugs. And so that was the state of the NBA. And so... What David Stern and the rest of the NBA tried to do was go ahead and just nip this in the butt and then just try to change the image of, of the NBA. And this fight ultimately really helped in terms of getting the, the public on their side and making sure that 
all right, this is going to be a business. We're going to treat this, and folks need to come in in the arenas. Like, they're coming to do business, and ultimately they got what they wanted. And for better or worse, that's the, NBA, that's the way NBA look right now. And ultimately, I mean, it was an unintended consequence, but I think the NBA does has really, um, it really has grown for that, right? Now you see folks uh, kind of using that whole entrance into arenas almost as a fashion show um, to show their brand. You see like Russell Westbrook rolling up there, not really necessarily in a suit anymore, but like in a way in which they're, they're, they're icons, right? They're fashion icons in the way they come. LeBron, we we're rolling up in those like, in those suits with the with the shorts, like it's making statements. And so... It's, there were some unintended consequences that were helpful for the players. But that's, that's the NBA. And so this fight had that effect on it. So the other thing I want to talk about was like talking about just the players in general. Now, if you know me personally, like you know that I'm not really that afraid of a fight, right? Um, and honestly, when I was watching the fight, watching interviews about the fight, reading up on it, what really became really disheartening for me was just like the level of burden that the players had to pay for their roles in this fight. And I think ultimately it's not, it's not really fair how much burden they had to take. Granted, yes, they were involved in the fight. I'm not going to argue with that because... It happened, but what were, what else were they supposed to do? You tell me. What else were they supposed to do? The answer that most people usually give is that you're a professional, keep your calm, and do this and that and that. And that's awesome to say. You can say that, but when you're faced with that actual um, situation, it's a whole lot different, and we all know it. Because as a professional... Um, sport player, you are already knowing that when you roll up in the arenas, you're going to be hearing some of the most hurtful things ever said about you, scream at your face by people that you've never seen before, and people that are just like coming out at you in the most hateful way. Like you come in the arenas expecting that. And some people come in their own home arenas expecting that. And so to say that players don't have control in that moment is false. Because they do. They, they practice so much control in ways that most of us would never be able to. Like most times, we, we, like, we quit our jobs when our, when our boss yell at us. Like we are very, we're human. That's, what, like that's normal. And so when players are in places in which they're being yelled at, they're being cussed at, they're being, and now they're being thrown, they throw things at them. You throw a bottle at someone? Hell yeah, he's going to come after you. And especially when he sees you, right? He sees you right there, and you throw something at him. Like, yes, that's, that was what he was supposed to do. And for someone that doesn't think that the player's going to do that, it's someone that's, that's just kind of, you know, living the other world, right? I think the, often, oftentimes, like, there's two Americas, there's Americas in which, you know, you feel that you have the right to come and talk that kind of talk and yell at people and do this and know that you're protected. If the players get out of control, security will come get them. Or 
knowing that what they have to, you know, what um, the players are ultimately held to, that, that nothing is going to happen to you. And that's what the fan, in that, in that case, the guy that threw the bottle, that's what he expected, that in no moment in his life did he think that someone was going to jump over just two steps. He didn't think, that, like, Ron Artest would ever be able to do that because the expectation is that he's protected and players are taught not to do anything despite what they have to go through to make that happen. He knew that it wasn't going to happen. So when he sees Artest coming at him, yo, his eyes almost popped out of his face because he did not see that happening. And that's being in two Americas, one in which you just didn't expect, like you just know, like you, you think you're entitled. You think you're entitled to do whatever you want because you paid the ticket price. And that's not how the world works. And that's something that the fans learned at that moment. And it's such a beautiful experience. Because guess what? He's never going to forget that. Ever. So, ultimately, when we're talking about this current state of the NBA now, and, you know, in the aftermath of the Malice in the Palace, um... As I already mentioned, there are some positive impact that happened, which is that players were able to use the dress code to their advantage. Um, there are increased security to protect players-ish. Um, but ultimately, what ended up really happening was that the punishments that came with that fight became very um, focused on the players, and it was very punitive. So... I don't know if it ultimately helped the players, but it was very punitive to the players. Like, Ron Artez got suspended for a whole, a whole season. Um, ben Wallace got suspended for, I think, like 30-something or 50 games. And, I mean, so much money was lost by the players. Like, over $11 million was lost by the players in um, as, as a result of the fight. And ultimately, five... Um, Fans got suspended or faced criminal offenses, but I, I don't know if that's enough. And clearly by how the NBA is today and how fans still act today, the NBA did not do a good job of making sure that the fans got their share of the punishment as well. Because if you watch the whole video, now, the video we posted, obviously, is only like a minute long because that's all Instagram will allow us to, to do so. But if you go and watch the YouTube video, the six-minute videos, yo, it's it's maddening what the, those play those fans thought that it was okay to do. Like for most of us, if a fight breaks out, like you try to get yourself into a safe space, or if you have kids and whatnot and whatnot, you try to just leave, right? No, those um, fans, as they were being trying to push away by security and all those um, arena staff. They were pushing their ways to make sure to keep throwing more beers and, like, pour things on them and throw whatever they had at those players. Like, so many fans. And it was very disheartening. It was, it was very sad to watch because, ultimately, that's how they felt about the players. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily about, like, okay, Ron Artest attacked one of our players. Let's get him. 
No, it didn't matter. They went after all of them. And ultimately, only five of them were able to face um, offenses. And I just, it's just, I don't like it. And the reason we're back, we circle back to this fight in general, is that um, this past week, we were watching OKC playing, I want to say the Sixers. And this young fan, this kid, he looks like he's in maybe middle school, like between 9 and 11 years old. He gets up as um, Russell Westbrook is standing right there trying to inbound the, the ball in, and he just hits him. And Westbrook turns around angrily and then realizes it's a kid. And, ha- and then had to explain to the father, like, hey, maybe you should get your kid and let him know that this is not an okay thing to do because you don't know how I would have I reacted. Now think about that. Your kid hits a player on the court and it took the player to have to explain to you that that was not an, an okay thing to do. Like, that's messed up. That's so messed up. Like, that's bad parenting. That's bad parenting, bad fanhood. And honestly, that, that dad and that kid should have been faced with something. Because if you're trying to t- say how we need to protect the players and protect the fans, how the hell are you protecting the players? By having them being subjected to being hit by a kid, and then they're the one that have to say something. Your security staff don't come and do something? Because if it was the other way around, let's say that kid had the ball and Russell, like, pushed him or something, or a grown person had the ball and Russell, like, taps him, like, hey, give me the ball back. Guess what? That, that fan is thinking about, okay, how much money can I get for by suing this dude? The NBA is like, all right, we're going to find you this much, player, this much money for touching the fan. Like, the, the players have gotten their hand, like, so tied up in what they're able to do that, like, it's, it's scary because, like, the fans could just do whatever they want because they pay for tickets, and that's a shame, right? And so that's the one major thing from this brawl that I feel like did not happen and should have and that no one talks about because ultimately we don't value the players because if we value the players no one would be able to just go ahead and touch them and just get away with it right think about this we protect a lot of different people in different ways but when it comes to professional but when it comes to professional athletes we're like mm. It's odd. But as soon as they touch a fan, they, get, they lose. They're suspended for how many games? They lose how much money? And I think that's something we need to think about and change. All right. Before I get out of here, that's one last thing I want to really talk about. And which is that when we're talking about fighting... I want to be very clear and very um, strategic in how I say this because I don't want to go off the wrong way. Ultimately, I don't see anything wrong with how the players handled that situation because I think that was the only way that they could have reacted that would have 
sent any kind of message, right? And what I mean by that is that in the world we live in right now, there are so many people that are just jerks. They're just jerks. And when you look at that guy that threw the beer, he had no no situation at all in the fight. He had no equity. He There's nothing that he could have gained by throwing that bottle. But he did it because he could. And ultimately, he did it because he knew there was no threat that something could happen, right? And so when you're talking about the world we live in now, if, you, if we're in a place in which no one had a fear that a consequence would happen if they do something... Do you realize how, like, messed up everything would be? The only reason there's a lot of law and order right now is because someone knows that if, you know, if I go and push Peter, he might punch me in the face. And that keeps people in line. It's, like, it's very sad, but, like, that keeps people in line. And that's a logic that goes in with um, a lot of um, fans when they go to professional sports. They can say whatever they want to say to that player, knowing that, like, the player can't really do much. And when they do, they are going to be um, faced with a lot of penalties. And not just, like, within the game, but, like, in life. Like, a lot of the players that were involved in the brawl, immediately after the brawl, they were talking about how they were pretty sure their career was over, that they were just going to be kicked out of the league. And that's what other folks, like those athletes, are faced with. But in terms of the fans, they don't have that fear. Right, and and that's why they feel that the need that they could just do whatever the, whatever they want to do. That's why the kid could just go and hit Russell Westbrook, and his dad doesn't even like acknowledge that that happened. That's why that dude could just throw a beer at Ron Artez, and just just think nothing was going to happen. It's literally the fear that if I do this, there might be a consequence. That's the only thing that keeps people from from not being able to. And so, yeah, I think. In a lot of cases, if like there needs to be a situation in which, hey man, that's a consequence for this. And for that fan, like I don't know how many, like what he what his ultimate punishment was, um, according to the article I read, it just said they face criminal offenses. But I doubt they face jail time, even though they just assaulted someone. I saw that five players, I believe, were banned from the arena for life, for home games. But ultimately, does that really change much about their experiences? No. They still get to watch the games on TV. If they really want to, they still go watch the game on the away games. Like, it doesn't really change that much. And with the way technology is built right now, it's way better to be at home watching the game than to be at the arena anyways. Saves their money. And so I think if we want to change this, we need to start protecting the players in ways that they, they deserve to be um, protected. Particularly when you talk about the NBA, move the seats slightly further back so that the players aren't literally like within arm's reach from people who don't really care about them as individuals. They don't care about them as humans. They see them as puppets. As They see them as, you know, just a show. And that's, just, that's, that's sad. And make sure you put rules in place in which um, fans know that if I do this, there is going to be a tough consequence that comes with it. And that's the one thing that when we talk about the malice in the palace, 
that was never addressed. And that's, and I wish it had, and I hope that as we keep having these incidences of fans touching and yelling and doing all sorts of things to players, that we get the right set of mind and actually start protecting our players the way our players deserve to be protected. And that is why the malice of the palace matters. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Day Matter Podcast. Um, If you like what you hear or know someone that might, please be a friend and share. Also, if you can, please rate and review our episodes on Apple Pod or any of the other um, media platforms that you listen to. All right. Thank you. Peace.